Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Plant Powered People Podcast with your hosts, Michelle Kane and Tony Okamoto. Today's episode is one that is really special to me. It's actually my favorite episode that we've recorded to date. <laughs> Most of what we talk about here on the Plant Powered People podcast is the practical tips of living vegan, overcoming challenges. We bring on people of every walk of life uh, and talk about their experience going vegan and and how they did it practically or eating plant-based or eating more plant-based, wherever you are on the spectrum. But but why? Like, it, why go through these challenges? Why put in the extra effort to eat in a different way than the norm, to live outside of the norm, which is inevitably harder? So the why vegan? Why plant-based? Um, there are so many different reasons that can lead people down that path. It could be the environment. It could be human rights. It could be um, health, of course. Uh, but today's episode is dedicated to talking about ethics and animals. Um, and we're bringing on one of my favorite people on the planet, <laughs> Gene Bauer. We love Gene Bauer. He is such a nice person. And in addition to just being an overall general, awesome, awesome person, he is a best-selling author and the president and co-founder of Farm Sanctuary, the first animal rescue and advocacy organization dedicated to animals in a place that Michelle and I have bonded together. We both have been inspired by it and it's a big part of our friendship. I would say actually it's the first place that Michelle and I went to on our first road trip together. Do you remember Michelle? I do. Yeah. I think we went to farm sanctuaries a few. We've been to several sanctuaries, but um, yes. yeah, we got to s snuggle some cows at a farm sanctuary and it was beautiful. Yep. It was one in Chico and Michelle was filming. And anyway, I have a special place in my heart for Farm Sanctuary. I know Michelle does as well. Gene is, as I mentioned, amazing. He is, in addition to being the co-founder and president of Farm Sanctuary, he has done an immense, immensely fantastic job getting the information about animal welfare out into the world. He's been covered by pretty much every major media outlet, including ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox. He is also a New York Times bestseller, and he has two books. One is called Farm Sanctuary, Changing Hearts and Minds About Animals and Food, and also Living the Farm Sanctuary Life. We are so excited to bring him onto the show, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Before we jump into this awesome episode with Jean, we want to take a moment to thank our sponsors of this episode, Maxine's Heavenly Cookies and Natrieve. Maxine's makes homestyle cookies that are made with unrefined and allergy-friendly ingredients. So as a mom, I'm starting to think about this as my kid's going to be going into preschool with other kids. If you have kids in schools, these are a great option because they're made without milk and eggs, of course, but also without wheat and soy and corn and a whole bunch of other top allergens. So they're a great option for that. They have soft-baked cookies that you can find in many natural grocery stores. And they recently launched crispy cookies, which are so good. I love the chocolate chip crispy cookies. And you can find those and all of their cookies at maxinesheavenly.com and the code plants25, P-L-A-N-T-S 25 will get you 25% off. We'd also like to thank Natrieve, which is actually the world's first certified plastic neutral and carbon neutral wellness company. 
They make sustainably sourced, mooless, animal-free whey protein powder. And it's pretty cool as the world is shifting away from animal products. It's so exciting to see innovation happening on all fronts. And Natrieve is at the forefront of making whey protein without animals. Moolis is made through precision fermentation with no animals used whatsoever, and it uses 99% less water, 60% less energy, and emits 97% less greenhouse gas emissions than traditional whey protein processing. So check it out. You can save $10 off of your first purchase through natrieve.com. That is N-A-T-R-E-V-E.com. Hi, Jean. Welcome to the Plant Powered People podcast. Hey, it is great to be with you. I am really excited to have you on today because we're talking about a topic that we've kind of... This is season four of the Plant Powered People podcast, and we've never done an episode about what's wrong with eating animals. And that's been kind of intentional, right? Because this is a tough topic. And we certainly want to be a welcoming space, and we never want to make anyone feel... we want judged. to be inspiring and encouraging, but we don't ever want anyone to feel feel yeah, judged or pressured. Um, but that is How about why uncomfortable is uncomfortable enough. To uncomfortable think is great. <laughs> uncomfortable is great, yeah. right? We that, need that's that magic space, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so this that's perfect. This episode is about getting uncomfortable, listening to things that none of us want to hear about. None of us want to exist in the world, but the reality is that they do. And the reality is that we have a lot of power to make a personal impact on um, these things that we're going to be talking about. And so uh, with that in mind, <laughs> we're excited to dig in to kind of the issues with eating animals. But before we do, Jean, can you share, you have such a fascinating and inspiring story that goes back decades. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how you became vegan, how you ended up rescuing farmed animals, and how you got here today? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I, like most people around me, I grew up eating animals without really thinking about it. And the first time I started considering what I was doing was in high school when my grandmother told me about how veal calves are raised. And I said, I'd never eat veal again. And as time went, I just learned more and more about factory farming and all the harm it was causing. And I didn't want to be part of it. So I went vegan in 1985. In 1986, I co-founded Farm Sanctuary and wanted to see firsthand what was going on at factory farms. So we started visiting these places, and we would literally find living animals thrown in trash cans or left on piles of dead animals. So we started rescuing them, and that's how the sanctuaries began. And in addition to caring for animals, we want to raise awareness and change our food system to prevent animals from suffering, but also prevent people from suffering, including workers as well as consumers. and also. Eat, live in a way that doesn't cause so much harm to the earth, the way factory farming causes harm. So I've been doing this a long time, and it's great to see a growing awareness and a growing interest among more and more people to live in a way that is better aligned with our humanity and with our own interests to live healthy and on a planet that's not being destroyed. That is so beautiful. And Farm Sanctuary was a, a important part of my initial journey as I became vegan. It, one of the Farm Sanctuary hoedowns in New York was one of the first events that I went to and met other people who were also concerned about these issues in our world. So 
Um, yeah, thank you for all of you, all that you did. And it's so crazy to hear that you went vegan and you founded Farm Sanctuary a year later. I know there's some other interesting stories in there involving maybe Grateful Dead concerts, maybe old <laughs> bands. Can you just share that piece a little bit? Because I think it's so fascinating. Oh, absolutely. When, when Farm Sanctuary started in, in 1986, you know, the idea of a farm sanctuary was, was a new one. There were no other farm sanctuaries at the time. And we were an all-volunteer organization with a budget of zero to begin with. And the way we funded it was by selling vegan hot dogs at Grateful Dead shows out of our Volkswagen van. And that Volkswagen van was also our research vehicle. We would take it around the country to investigate factory farms. And we rescued animals in it. And we sold vegan food in it. And uh, that's how it began. Then, um, thankfully, many people joined with us over the years, often as volunteers or there's a farmer in Pennsylvania that it let us use some of his land. Then some other friends had an old school bus they donated. So we lived in a school bus on this farm for a little bit before we were able to acquire the farm in upstate New York up in Watkins Glen. That happened in 1989. And that is, you know, a permanent sanctuary that is still in place. And we also have a sanctuary out in California. So these are places where animals get to live out their lives, where people get to visit and get to know animals and also be in a community that wants to live in a more compassionate way without harming other animals. And that's what the hoedown and other events have been about, is just connecting people, building community uh, around compassion and around connection and around living in a way that we can feel good about. You know, so many people who are supporting the factory farming industry are doing so unwittingly, without necessarily recognizing that they have opportunities to, to do different. And we just want to show that it's not that hard to make choices that are better aligned with our compassion, better aligned with what we want to think about, you know, because thinking about slaughterhouses is not fun. And, and so often when the issue comes up, people say, I don't want to talk about it. But, you know, at the same time, people are participating in this abusive industry. And so we want to create the opportunity to take steps away from participating in this abusive industry and create opportunities to live in a way that we can feel good about. That is incredible how inspired and fired up you were right away. In the late 1980s, what was that like opening up a farm sanctuary when no one else was doing anything like that and when people weren't as educated about farmed animal issues as they are today? <laughs> oh, gosh. In the late 1980s, you know, the idea of rescuing farm animals and taking care of them as friends instead of as food was a very new and, and scary concept to many. You know, I remember talking to veterinarians who were just very confused and didn't understand why would we would spend so much money and resource and, and energy taking care of a goat, for example, who was very sick, or a chicken, or a pig, uh, who were not worth very much financially, and we would be spending a lot more than they worth were worth financially. So, but we always held to the principle that these animals are living, feeling individuals. They deserve to be treated with respect, with dignity, just like we would treat other animals, other people, our cats, our dogs. And that's been the principle that's been at the core of Farm Sanctuary since the beginning. And it's, it's a principle that is beyond economics. And 
And, and we're still working to create that mindset where money isn't everything and animals are more than just property. Uh, but in the 1980s, that was an even stranger sort of thing for many people to understand. Uh, we're still working on it. Uh, but, but being vegan in the 80s was also more difficult. You know, today you can go into mainstream grocery stores and find all kinds of alternatives to cow's milk, for example. Now, back in the 1980s, we used to have to mix powder with water to get soy milk. And uh, vegan cheese was something that was also very difficult to find. And there was no Beyond Burger. There's no Impossible Burger. Um, So it was a lot harder back then in terms of getting convenience foods. But we've always had beans, rice, whole grains. We've always had those foods. And we still have those today as well. So I think the culture is evolving. The mindset is evolving. And the opportunities uh, to eat plant-based are becoming easier. So it's a lot easier now. And I'm, I'm very happy to see that. It's interesting. Uh, I was just thinking back to one of my when I first discovered Farm Sanctuary. And I think at the time I was vegetarian. I had just read Peter Singer's book, Animal Liberation, which came out in the 70s um, and kind of documented what happened to animals on on not only factory farms, but egg and dairy. And I decided I wanted to go vegan, but I hadn't done it yet. Um And I was looking into farm sanctuary and volunteer opportunities or maybe intern opportunities. And I remember reading, um, you have to eat eat, eat vegan when you're there. And at the time, I was not vegan. I was vegetarian. I wanted to go vegan, but I was like, could I do it? It just, the example being set as like, this is a place of peace and, and, and this is also possible and people are doing this. Just seeing that and hearing that a few times is what empowered me to feel like, oh, I totally can do this. Um. So that was pretty cool. And then another interesting thing that I learned at a visit to Farm Sanctuary, you talked about the veterinarians, is that I remember on at Farm Sanctuary it being shared that a lot of veterinarians, well, in the veterinary industry, they don't even know how to treat animals past the young age because like pigs are slaughtered at so-and-so age. So how to, how to treat older pigs or older cows or older chickens not only did vets not learn it, like the information wasn't ever even known or studied because people didn't care for these animals throughout their whole life, which was just mind blowing to me. Yes. You know, veterinarians, you know, especially those that work on farm animals, see these animals as commodities, not as living creatures. And they don't see them, you know, past their production purposes. And that's been a big part of Farm Sanctuary's role, trying to raise awareness among veterinarians even. And when it comes to visiting farm sanctuaries, you know, human beings are very much social animals. So I really appreciate what you said, Michelle, about, you know, knowing that there are people who live without eating animal products, whether it's meat, dairy, or eggs, and that that is possible. Just seeing others do it and modeling that makes it easier for other people to do it. You know, we, we rub off on those around us. And if we see somebody do something, we're more likely to do it. So I think the more vegans there are, the more vegans there will be. And uh, so modeling this kind of lifestyle and this kind of relationship with other animals is, I think, a very important part of what happens at Farm Sanctuary. Why is it a problem to eat animals? I, I know that on some level, people understand that factory farm factory farming is inhumane, but there are, there are so many topics within... Um, animal agriculture, which we want to cover it individually with, with dairy, veal, eggs, and, and et cetera. But, but just to, to get it started, what's wrong with eating animals? Well, I would say that most human beings are humane. Most human beings would rather not 
kill another animal. Most human beings would rather live and see other animals as, you know, companions. And if you think about it, what it's like to visit a slaughterhouse or to work in a slaughterhouse, where for eight hours a day, your job is cutting the throats of animals. Um, I don't think most people want to do that. And, and I think most people would rather not support or participate in that sort of violence. Um, you know, as opposed to visiting a sanctuary where you get to see cows running in the fields and chickens running around and perching in trees and animals enjoying life, that actually helps us to enjoy life. You know, you think about, you know, joy and these the joy these animals express at a sanctuary versus the fear and violence they uh, experience at a slaughterhouse. Most of us, I think, want to live in that joy and live in that peace and live in a way that is not causing unnecessary harm. So, you know, I, I ask people to consider if we can live well without causing unnecessary harm to other animals, why wouldn't we? And we grow up with this idea that eating animals is normal and the way it's supposed to be. But I think we can check, question that and, and ask ourselves, is that normal? And how do I feel about it? And if I don't need to support that cruelty, you know, why wouldn't I make a change? That's beautiful. And and I also like how um, that's a question that all of us get asked, right? If we're plant-based eaters, if we're vegan eaters, inevitably someone's going to say over the dinner, dinner table, well, what's wrong with eating animals? And that feels like a very overwhelming question because you want to explain the dairy cows and the gestation crates and the battery cages and the veal cages and the, how free range is not what it seems. And like, there's all this information behind these decisions. Um, but I think the way that you put it is it's very simple. It's, yeah, nobody wants to be causing harm to somebody else. And we're all on the same page here. Like, the, uh, yeah, yes, no matter what's on our plate. Harm. Yeah, unnecessary harm. Unnecessary right. harm, right? Just living on the planet, we're going to likely cause harm, usually inadvertently. But if we can make a conscious choice not to cause unnecessary harm, um, I think most people would agree that that makes sense. Yeah. And I think that's actually a really beautiful thing to bring up today where the concept of vegan gets taken in, in different directions, right? There's this idea of being a perfect vegan, but that there's no such thing as being a perfect vegan. We all inevitably cause harm unintentionally or intentionally in our life that is almost unavoidable in order to live in our society. And so a big part of the work that Tony and I do is just reminding people it's not about being perfect. It's about taking the choices that we have in our life and especially where they can make a big impact one way or another, making sure that we're being thoughtful about that and trying to make choices that are great for us, but also great for everybody else. So I love the, the way that you put that. Okay, yes, let's I think dive it's in. Also important. I think it's also okay. important to recognize that it is a choice. You know, we don't have to eat meat. You know, we grow up, many of us, with the habit of eating meat, but we don't have to. So it is a choice. That is so true. Yeah. And the choice, the our response to choices are often not even thought about, right? Like we don't even think about it as a choice. We just go and eat what we're used to eating. And it's it's as sim it's really as simple as just think about the choice that you're making and pick pick a direction based on what's best for you and everybody else. And if you just think about it, it becomes easy, especially today where there's options for everything. It's not like the 70s where you had to, you know, grow your own food and be eating uh, like every form of vegetable trying to make it taste good. Like today, there's every option. So 
it really is just a simple choice. Do you want this burger over here that looks identical and tastes identical, but has a lower carbon footprint and didn't hurt anybody? Or do you want this burger over here that's more harmful for your health and did cause harm? And, uh, you know, it's, it's becoming so simple. So I'm so grateful for all the work that you've done leading up to this point where now it's much easier for people um, to make that choice. Okay, so to dive in, let's start with like just, I think the biggest, the biggest issue of today, which is just factory farming, right? Like everyone's picture growing up of farms is old McDonald's farm with the animals running around. But like, that's not the reality for 99.9% of our food. So like, what's the issue in today's farms? And what should people know about factory farming that they maybe haven't considered? Yes. Well, the vast majority of animals raised today for slaughter, you know, 99% roughly are raised in factory farming conditions where they're crowded into cages in crates or crowded warehouses where they're not able to express their basic behaviors. Emotional or physical needs are not being met. These animals are under constant stress And as a result, they have to be fed enormous quantities of antibiotics. The vast majority of antibiotics produced in the United States go into feeding animals to keep them alive and growing in factory farming conditions, which results in the development of antibiotic-resistant bacteria. Plus, factory farms are a breeding ground for disease. You know, things like avian influenza uh, and, and swine flu, you know, can sometimes emerge out of these factory farms. And then you have these enormous manure lagoons full of animal excrement in neighborhoods with factory farms that in some cases are literally sprayed into the air and get on neighbors' homes, you know, making it difficult for neighbors to enjoy their lives. And oftentimes these are in communities where people do not have a lot of resources or are not able to fight against this big factory farming industry. So oftentimes it's in, you know, BIPOC communities. And so you have this enormous injustice connected to factory farming. And then they're producing foods that are terrible for us, that make us sick. Uh, And the animals who are raised in these conditions suffer terribly. In the United States, we raise about over 9 billion farm animals for slaughter. And every year, hundreds of millions die before even reaching the slaughterhouse because they're treated so badly. Um, So this is an incredibly abusive industry. It also uses an enormous amount of resources. Nine-tenths of the agricultural land in the United States is used to feed and raise farm animals. We could feed far more people with less land and fewer resources. We could sequester carbon. We could create more ecosystem biodiversity by shifting to a plant-based food system. So it's cruel for animals. It's horrible for the earth. It's terrible for, for neighbors of factory farms. It's bad for consumers, you know, especially in places with, with fast food restaurants without access to healthy plant-based foods who then have higher incidences of diabetes and, and hypertension and, and other diet-related health problems. So this is an industry causing enormous harm. And at the same time, this industry is getting billions of dollars of government support every year. Um, There was a a paper that came out or a study that came out a few years ago looking at dairy industry income, and they found that 73% of dairy industry income came from government programs. So this is not even an efficient system. It is one that requires government support because raising animals for food requires feeding 
farm animals, and, and that requires enormous resources. So it, it's inefficient, it's abusive, it's unnecessary, and hopefully as time goes, we'll be able to shift away towards more plant-based agriculture. And uh, there are very exciting things happening in that direction right now. Whew. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a lot. So, I mean, for, first of all, it's kind of crazy because the only ones benefiting from factory farms are people who are financially benefiting, right? Like that's the only win. That's the only win coming out of these systems. Um, but yes, it's crazy yes. because some, a lot of some, it's like government related. So, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. And some of those profiting are not folks you would necessarily think of immediately. For example, right. you know, petrochemical fertilizers and the antibiotic industry are very tied into mm. the fossil fuel industry. Um, access to land and capital connects you with the financial and banking industries. Um, mm -hmm. So there's these other, you know, pieces of agribusiness that many people don't think about, but that are very extractive uh, and are looking to profit and to take earnings from a system that is causing harm to regular farmers who oftentimes go into debt and then have a hard time paying off the debt again, to these financial lenders who are profiting you know, at the farmer's expense, who is suffering, and ultimately, in many cases, goes out of business. So you have a whole structure here around extraction, whether it's extracting cow's milk from cows and then killing the cows and taking their lives, um, or you know, raising and slaughtering other animals, uh, you know, destroying ecosystems, extracting nutrients from the soil to grow feed crops, um, and then, uh, you know, financial institutions that are investing in this and, and taking out earnings, oftentimes because of government programs. So, yeah, it's a, it's a big mess. <laughs> and um, ultimately, what we need to do, I think, is shift back towards uh, shorter food chains, connecting consumers more directly to the source of their food. Uh, and, and what that will do also is it will create more accountability. Because the more distant somebody is from the food they're buying, the easier it is for a factory farm or another business who, who may not be acting in a very respectful way. Uh, they can still sell their product and tell you a story that may or may not be very true. But if you're closer to the farm and you actually see what's happening, there's more accountability. And so I think we need to shift away from this industrial consolidated food system, which again ties into pharmaceuticals. Of petrochemical industries, financial institutions, to a more community-oriented system where people get to know their local neighbor and their local farmer, and you have a food not lawns movement, and you have people eating food that is nourishing, and it is grown in a way that is sustainable, and it's also not transported thousands of miles. So there's so many benefits to this localized food system as opposed to this industrialized, consolidated food system uh, that really is the factory farming model and requires enormous resources uh, and profits a small number of businesses at the expense of animals, the earth, and people. Well, I, I mean, the first question in my head was like, how did we get here? Like, how did we get here? But that really explains it. And it's so complex. Um, and then the next question is, how do we get out of it? And that's what we're all working on. But it's so fascinating to hear uh, your perspective, who has really thought these this out. And yeah, like eating lower on the ch food chain, eating more local, uh, eating plant-based food is so helpful. Um, 
to take the weight off of our our planet and and the billions of animals. It's just so sad. So let's dive into some some specific areas of farming that impact most people in the way that we're eating. Um, I, I actually wanted to hop in here because I had no idea about dairy. I had no idea that cows didn't naturally produce milk all the time. And I was an ethical vegetarian and I felt really strongly about it. And my friend who was vegan was like, hey, I noticed you're like really gung-ho about this vegetarian lifestyle, but did you know that the system of getting your milk and your cheese to you is also quite horrific. And uh, I just, I had no idea. So even people who feel really passionately about animal welfare might not know. Can you share a little bit about the dairy industry and how, how harsh it is to baby cows and their mamas? Oh yes, absolutely. And and like you say, um, many people care about animals. They don't want animals to be slaughtered, and so they don't eat meat. But in many cases, dairy cows probably have it worse than animals raised for beef or other meat. And the reason is that for a, a dairy cow, they live a longer life. They live a constant cycle of being impregnated. Uh, they give birth. Their baby's taken away at birth. And then that cow is milked and pushed very hard to produce about 10 times more milk than they would in nature. And they're also impregnated during their lactation cycle. So they're giving milk at this immense amount and pregnant for much of their lives. Um, You know, like other mammals, cows have to have a baby to produce milk. And that's why they're constantly impregnated. And their babies... Um, If they are female, they are used to become milking cows because a dairy cow will only last about three years in production because they're pushed so hard. And then then they're sent to slaughter and become ground beef in most cases. Um, But the female calves are raised to become milking cows because they need a constant supply of them. The males are useless to the dairy industry. So the veal industry was actually created to take advantage of this plentiful supply, this byproduct of dairy production, which are the unwanted male calves. And so those unwanted males are taken from their mothers at birth, chained by the neck in crates, which is where they live their entire lives. Now, thankfully, there has been more awareness about the veal industry. There's been a strong push to ban putting these animals in small crates. So that seems to be on its way out. But you still have these unwanted male calves that are now increasingly going directly into the beef industry, where they're raised and then ultimately end up in feedlots, and then they end up being slaughtered. So that is a byproduct of the dairy industry, and it is an industry that ends in slaughter, whether it's for the calves or for the cows. And in the case of the cows, they have lived for years in a very stressful environment where they're pushed very hard, where every year they give birth and have a baby taken away, which is also emotionally difficult. So the dairy industry is is really one of the worst. I know a lot of people um, 
like a human defense mechanism is to put up these walls and say, well, these animals are different from us. Maybe they don't suffer in the same way. But uh, I really encourage those listening to try and take down those walls. Cows are pregnant for nine months in the same way that humans are. And a mama cow usually gives birth to one cow. Is that right, Jean? Yeah, one calf is usually one, what one they, uh, that's normal. Yep. One calf. And for anyone who's, well, I mean, most of us have parents and feel what it felt like to be loved and protected um, since we were babies. But uh, also, if you've gone through pregnancy or gone through having a baby, you just know you would give anything in your life to protect that little one. And the idea of having like going through all of that, cows are aware of this, they're growing a child in them. And when they birth that animal, having having their baby taken away, that's when you see these videos come with mama cows just chasing the truck where they're taking away their baby calf and they're, they don't eat for days or they have just all these just traumatic like, I guess, responses to the trauma that they're experiencing again and again and again, and never being able to live the the part of their life where they get to stay with their baby is just so, so heartbreaking. If you really let yourself see and feel the pain and trauma of that separation. Um, And I know a lot of people who stopped drinking milk because they could resonate with that on a personal level, uh, the connection between a, a mom and their baby and separating them is not something I ever, ever want to be a part of. And I know so many people feel the same. And the, yeah, that dairy industry, whew, <laughs> it's its a lot to emotionally just grasp what's happening there. Yes. And, and ironically, when you think about milk, it has sort of these connotations of being very sort of comfortable at home with family. But, you know, this is cow's milk and we are taking it from cows. And the dairy industry is one of the most entrenched, entrenched industries in Washington, D.C. So we have government programs that fund dairy production. And then we have government programs that promote the consumption of cow's milk in schools, for example. And so it has this sort of wholesome image, which is completely unfounded and inaccurate. And so that's the other thing about the dairy industry. And and, and another aspect to this is that, you know, the way that the industry gets government money is by telling stories about struggling dairy farmers and how they're going out of business and how they're having such difficult lives. And that's how they sell this idea that they need more government support for dairies. The irony is that that government support goes to the big factory farms that are putting the small farms out of business. So they're actually using the stories of these small farmers who they're hurting to get money into the pockets of the big dairies and the factory farms and the banks and the petrochemical companies. So it's, it's really diabolical when you look at it at, at the big picture. The painful thing is that there's so much that if people were just aware of what's happening, it wouldn't be happening. And so it's like you look at these situations and it's like there's no way the future is going to involve these things. There's just no way because as people learn and it doesn't benefit anyone, right? Like it's just it's holistically not a positive. But the problem is spreading the awareness and getting the action taken and changing a lifetime of of habits and and recipes and everything that takes time. And so there's like this sense of urgency. Why can't we just stop this? It's crazy. But, um, each one of us making changes is, is helping move that 
to a better place faster, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. You know, we can't do everything. We can't do, there's many things that are outside of our control, but every day each of us makes choices about what we decide to eat. And, and that choice has profound impacts, not only on our own health, but on the well-being of other animals and on the health of the planet. So yes, I completely agree. There's an awful lot here. There are structures and systems in place that will take time to shift, but each of us every day can do something. And I think that's the really positive message and the empowering approach to take so we can feel good about making conscientious choices that make a difference. And not being overwhelmed when when people are doing what they do and instead celebrating every choice that they make that's meatless, every um, vegan meal that that they choose to eat and and not being weighed down by what people are not doing. I totally agree with that. You know, find the common ground, find the positive, dwell in the positive and build from there, you know, as opposed to pointing to something that's problematic and focusing on that and dwelling in that. Mm -hmm. I completely agree with that, Tony, that we need to celebrate any positive step. And I think doing so will lead to more positive steps. It's interesting all the things that we don't know and how once we find that information, our whole lives are changed forever. And eggs, eggs, the egg industry was another one that caught me off guard because you think in this in the same way that cows are always producing milk. Hens are always laying eggs. And it wasn't until I looked more closely and heard from people and actually went to some some farms and saw what it's like for these hens that I made the shift uh, and was shocked by how what I thought I knew was untrue. Can you share about the many, many atrocities that are happening for? hens in the laying industry? Yes, I, I sure can. Um, you know, in this country and in agriculture, there are two distinct breeds of chickens. There are the meat type birds that have been genetically bred to grow four times bigger and four times faster than normal and to reach slaughter at a very young age. So that's the meat type birds. And then you have the egg laying hens who have been genetically bred to produce like 10 times more eggs than they would in nature. And those birds have been, you know, bred so they don't grow very big, but they produce a lot of eggs. And um, so at the hatcheries that hatch out the egg laying hens, you have males and females. The males are useless. So I've actually been to hatcheries and seen dumpsters full of unwanted male chicks because they're not gonna lay eggs and they don't grow fast enough to be raised profitably for meat. So that's one you know, sad reality of egg production. Uh, the Another is that these hens, like other animals exploited for food, are seen as commodities. They're not seen as living, feeling creatures. So, and whenever that's the case, you know, their well-being suffers. And, and these birds are oftentimes put in these small cages where they can't even stretch their wings. Uh, and that's how they live for a year or sometimes longer. Uh, they're packed so tightly that they would peck each other in those conditions. So they're also de-beaked. Part of their beak is cut off to, to prevent harm when they do peck each other in those stressful, overcrowded conditions. Uh, now, thankfully, there has been a strong move to ban these cages. They're called battery cages because they're lined up in rows, stacked in tiers in huge warehouses. There's a battery of cages. 
Um, and thankfully, those are being phased out in some states. They are still commonly used, however, in other places. Um, but even when you have a cage-free system, you know, it's not ideal. It's certainly less bad. But you know, really, the bottom line is when these animals are seen as commodities and as production units, um, I think that it's going to be bad for the animals. And I would also say that it's, it's not good for us. Because when we treat somebody with disrespect, whether it's another human being or another animal, I think we lose part of our humanity. And, and that's what happens on a daily basis in animal agriculture, where you have chickens or cows or pigs or other animals who are seen just as production units, not as living, feeling creatures. And, and with that perspective, uh, you know, there's an empathy that we lose. And I think empathy is a really important part of our humanity. And, uh, you know, people who work in slaughterhouses have to lose part of their humanity. And, and I think that that's bad, not only for the animals, but for people. I fully agree with that. And I even I even feel myself lo losing empathy when there's something that I can't take action on. And I just know I have to just turn my brain off to it. Otherwise, I carry that pain. <laughs> That's like a very mild, mild example of just like we all have built into our bodies as human beings, the ability to protect our mental state by turning off care for others. And it's so sad when that happens. And it's an important, uh, I think it, it has to become a practice if you weren't raised that way to really tune into empathy, tune, tune into how others are feeling, tune into how your actions are impacting those around you. It is a practice to relearn how to find empathy and really listen to it and care and apply it to your daily life. Um, I know a question that a lot of people have is about like free range and cage free eggs because those labels are widely available now. Can you talk a little bit about, I know I was shocked that free range isn't like outdoors in the sunshine free range. <laughs> Can you talk a little yeah. bit about the reality of what those yeah. terms mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, many of these terms, whether cage free, free range, uh, free roaming, grass fed, or whatever they may be, tend to sound a lot better than they really are. And, and many of these terms are more about marketing than about accurately describing the conditions these animals are raised under. You know, which is why I, I often say that the only way really to know how animals are raised is to visit the farm. Because the further consumers are removed from the production methods, the easier it is for factory farms or marketers for agribusiness to make conditions sound much more humane than they are. So, um, and, and thankfully, there is more consumer concern and awareness. And, and so the industry does have to respond to that. But oftentimes, they respond more with marketing terms and, and language that sounds good than with actually making changes in production. So the best solution, of course, is just to eat plants instead of animals. That's really the best thing to do. And if you can't do that overnight, to just take small steps, you know, and maybe one meal a day or, you know, a couple days a week to eat plant-based and just explore new options in that arena. And as you take small steps, they become more comfortable and then you can take more steps. But uh, just recognizing that we can live well without eating animal foods. In fact, we can live better. And of course, it's better for the animals and the earth as well. So just, you know, take the steps you can. And, uh, you know, as you were saying earlier, Michelle, about 
empathy and looking at the big picture and just being so overwhelmed and in many cases so upset by what is happening, it is a practice to figure out how to be aware of it and empathize, but also not to be overwhelmed and then to actually take steps that can make a difference and that then become empowering so that you're now consciously living in a way that you can feel good about. You're consciously acting in a way that is creating more kindness in the world instead of contributing to more of the harm. And that feels really good and it's really empowering. And so each little step, you know, like, like Tony was saying earlier, each little step is something to celebrate. And, uh, you know, all of us are works in progress. Um, even the most vegan vegan is not perfect. Uh, and so we just need to accept that reality and do the best we can. I want to thank you for creating a space of sanctuary, not only for the animals, but also for us people, because <laughs> it is a lot to hold and to have a place where you can go and just see animals that have been rescued that just represents um, how we want the world to be. And it, sort of when you step into the farm sanctuary environment, all the weight that I carry on my shoulders just sort of fades away in that little microcosm of peace and people who are caring and trying to make a difference. Um, so I want to thank you for for making that a reality and not only a reality, but you started the first farm sanctuary and we actually just put together a sanctuary guide on World of Vegan of sanctuaries around even just the US because now they're all over the world. But there were hundreds, like there's probably thousands. I don't know how many there are now, but it's just inspired this movement of here's one, I mean, every... We all can make a make a difference when we sit down to eat, but some people have taken upon in themselves to to go even further and to be uh, kind of amplifying the work that fam farm sanctuary started and creating their own places of sanctuary for animals, which is just so beautiful to see. And in addition to what it does for animal advocates, providing a safe place to be unburdened uh, and to see the individuals who were rescued and and to to know them and understand why why we do this work uh in addition to that those same individuals also provide a set of eyeballs to look into for someone who still may be an e a meat eater or who may consume dairy or eggs and looking into someone's eyes and seeing them as an individual instead of this idea of all cows or all hens in a certain industry and getting to know their quirks and their personality and the 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 way their spots are on their fur uh it it really helps I feel like it's such a powerful thing to inspire change, to get to know someone and to understand that they are worthy of life and to live without suffering. Yes, it's about respect and empathy and connection and understanding. And farm animals, unfortunately, uh, have been so abused and denigrated. Um, and most people have no understanding of who they are and the experiences they have and and how farm animals just like cats or dogs or humans want to enjoy life um, they want to enjoy companionship 
and they don't want to be treated badly or killed like they are. And so yeah, coming to the sanctuary, you get to know individuals and you get to meet sheep, for example, who love human companionship. And they will, some of them love to be petted. And so when you stop petting them, they will paw at you like a cat or a dog would saying, come on, keep petting me. So it's, you know, they're not that different than the companion animals who many of us live with. And, and that's really the key message is that these are living, feeling creatures. Our Farm Sanctuary's first bumper sticker back in 1986 said, if you love animals called pets, why do you eat animals called dinner? And I think it's still a question worth asking. And if you look around the world, there are some places where people don't eat cows. And there are other places where people do eat cats and dogs. So which animals we consider to be companions and which ones we consider to be uh, pieces of meat are really quite arbitrary. And the fact is, we can live without killing any of them. And I think that that's better for everyone. It's so true. Thank you so much for all you've shared here, Jean. I know we only touched on a very tiny portion of the whole animal agriculture industry. And we will be sure to link about pigs and gestation crates and, and other elements if you want to research further. We'll link those in the show notes. And Farm Sanctuary has a ton of resources at farmsanctuary.org that we'll link as and, well for people to check and Jean out. And Jean has a book. And Jean's yes. book. Yes, mm -hmm. Jean's book. Uh, multiple books. Um, Two books, and, that's right, yes. Yeah, yeah. So we will link all that. Jean, do you have any final words of anything you want to share with our listeners? No, I would just say that I'm grateful for what you two are doing as well, and that we're all in this together. We all share this planet. And to the extent we can make it a more peaceful, compassionate place, that's in all of our interests. And I'm just very grateful to do this work and to, to do it alongside people like you. Thanks, Jean. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Quick reminder to check out our sponsors of the show. You can find Maxine's Heavenly Cookies on their website at maxinesheavenly.com and you can get 25% using the code PLANTS25. And you can also get $10 off of your first purchase for Natrieve at natrieve.com, N-A-T-R-E-V-E.com. I really hope you all enjoyed that episode. This is probably one of my favorites to date. Um, I'm personally eager to share this with a lot of friends and family. I, th I know this information is usually pretty difficult to share. But one of our goals with this was to um, create an episode that is soft, friendly, gentle, and, and also inspiring and educational enough to be able to share. So if this inspires you, feel free to share it with friends. Thank you so much, Gene, for coming on. If you want to check out more of his work, we'll link a bunch of it over in the show notes. And then I also highly encourage all of you listening to check out your local sanctuary. Um, visiting a sanctuary is such a healing and just beautiful experience. And you don't even need to find other plant-based or vegan eaters to go with. I visited... Farm Sanctuary one time in New York with a bunch of family who I had just met and they were certainly not vegan and they had such a great time meeting the animals and um, just kind of getting to know 
the the side of of animal rescue. So it's a beautiful place to go. We actually have a farm sanctuary guide and list um, featuring the different farmed animal sanctuaries in every state in the U.S. as well as some internationally on worldofvegan.com. So if you just head to worldofvegan.com and type in the search farm sanctuary, uh, you'll find that list and it'll help you see what options are in your area. Uh, yeah, best best experience ever. Yes, I am from the sanctuary world and they always have a sp- special place in my heart. I that's um, I didn't meet Michelle at Farm Sanctuary, but I did meet her at another farmed animal sanctuary. And it just, it's a really powerful experience. So I echo Michelle in saying it, it's only beneficial to go and see and hug and get to know on an individual level all the different animals who have been spared. And it also reinforces all of the choices that we make on an everyday occurrence and leaves you inspired to continue onward in the world that that can seem really overwhelming to be a vegetarian or be a vegan or or even to try meatless Mondays sometimes. So uh Yes, check out an animal sanctuary. And if you're interested in leaving me off of your plate, Michelle and I have tons of recipes in our Friendly Vegan Cookbook. And we also have uh, lots of recipes on our websites, plantbasedonabudget.com and worldvegan.com. So check those out. Every little bit helps. Every, Every time you leave meat or dairy or eggs off of your plate, you are helping animals. And we really, really, really appreciate that. Yes. And if this episode inspires any of you to take the next step and go fully vegan, we would so love to hear about it. Love to hear from you. And we also have lots of guides for how to go vegan, like how to do that practical stuff, of course, here in our podcast, but also both on plantbasedonabudget.com and worldofvegan.com as well. And if you'd like to support the show, support the podcast, we absolutely adore our Patreon supporters for as little as I think it's $2 a month. You can support the Plant Powered People podcast. Just head to patreon.com slash plant powered people. And all those donations go towards our editors, our um, team that works on helping us get more of these podcasts out there. And I I do want to say a big thank you to uh, not only our podcast sponsors, but also our Patreon supporters, because I'm not sure if you've noticed but this this podcast used to be bi-weekly every other week and this season we've been able to not only extend it but also do weekly episodes so i hope you're enjoying them thank you so so much for listening if you haven't left a review feel free to review us on apple Podcasts. that helps a lot too and um, wishing you all a beautiful beautiful rest of your day love you bye bye